Hello, and welcome to this episode of Making Disciples with Robbie Gallaty, a resource to equip and encourage leaders to make disciples who make disciple makers. I'm your host, Chris Swain, here with Robbie Gallaty, the pastor of Long Hollow Baptist Church, founder and president of Replicate Ministries. As we continue our series on the discipleship pathway, we've walked through congregation, we moved into community. It was such a big topic we had to do too yeah. on biblical community, <laughs> just to be clear, because yeah. uh, it's one of those that you can kind of gloss over and, and people just say, okay, that's Sunday school and move on. And that's not the case. We want to make sure we're very clear about that. So we, yeah. we did two on that. And now we are here at uh, what some have called the capstone, if you will, yeah. uh, on, on this whole process. The and centerpiece. The, the centerpiece. And the reality is... I don't look at it that way because each piece is crucial. That's true. Uh, but this is the piece I think is missing for most churches. Yeah. If I were to, if you were to look at most churches, this discipleship group model that we're going to talk about, and, and to, st- to stick with the alliteration, core, so we have congregation, we have community, and now we have core. Uh, we're talking about those people in our church who are reading God's word, memorizing scripture, being accountable to one another, meeting together for the purpose of multiplication. Yeah. Uh, I, I always ask people this when I go train, how many people in your church would you say this year read through the Bible, journaled, memorized scripture, and multiplied their life in some other? And generally, let's say it's a church of a thousand, they say about 80. If it's a church of a hundred, they say about eight. Most would say, I don't know. I don't, and most would say, I don't know, but whatever it is, it's generally a sad number comparatively. But what we're looking at here is we're trying to multiply from within those mature believers while simultaneously reaching out through evangelism to multiply those who don't know Christ. Most churches spend their time on that addition model. Let's bring in the lost to to lead them to Christ. We're saying do that. But let's also multiply the mature believers in our church to make disciples to multiply that. And so it's like a double whammy for for growth in your yeah. church. Well, and the thing is, most churches, if you're part of a church, you're leading a church or a part of it, you have a two-pronged approach to ministry. Most churches are like this. You wouldn't even think of planning a church or leading a church without worship, gathering, right, and Sunday school, life group, or small group. It's a two-pronged approach. It's two wheels on the bike, right? And it's it's driven us to this point already. And what we're saying is we want you to add another wheel. Right. We want you to get on the trike. <laughs> the trike. The ministry trike. The ministry trike. I like that. The ministry trike. Okay. And here's what, I, that's kind of funny. But the, but the reality is this. It's more of a step than a wheel. That's okay? right. So it's three steps. And we're asking you to add this third step to an already uh, institutionalized structured process. And remind me after, but we'll kind of leave with this cliffhanger. Because people have asked me, are you asking me to put another uh, a step in a process of a busy life of our staff or our people who yeah, already people don't are already ha- not coming to, to what we do. You're saying they'll add something else. You're going to add another thing. Remind me to finish with that, Chris. Okay. But here's the thing. Why did I, why did I give my life since the beginning of my Christian life to discipleship? Why am I so passionate about it? people ask me this when I got radically saved, uh, from drugs and alcohol years ago, 2002, I wandered for eight months, Chris. I didn't know how to read the Bible. Uh, I didn't know how to pray. I mean, I knew the Our Father and the Hail Mary, right? right. I knew those road <laughs> prayers. <laughs> Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord, with the blessed of thou much right. You know, so I knew those prayers. Uh, I didn't know how to memorize scripture. Hmm. I didn't know I should. And so I wandered for about eight months. I'm at church one Sunday it's, uh, in June, and a girl I went to college with who was at the church, and her dad was a professor at the New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, of which I knew nothing about. And she said, you are like a sponge. She said, you are a Timothy, you need a Paul to disciple you. I said, really? Do people do that? She said, if you pray about it. 
I said, okay, I will. I said, I read this in the Bible, the word disciple, but right. I didn't know anything about it. So I prayed for two months. I'm at Edgewater Baptist Church. It's okay. August of 2003. All right. A guy walks across uh, the church one Sunday. He looked back then about 12 or 13. Okay. Okay. He looks about 20 now. But back then he looked about 12 or 13. His name was David Platt. I've heard okay. the name. Or his name is David I've heard Platt. the name. You've heard that name? <laughs> right. David said, hey, man. Uh, and we started talking about ministry and what God was doing in his life. And he said, hey, are you meeting with anybody once a week to study the Bible, memorize scripture and pray? And I said, man, I'm not. Uh, he said, pray about it. I said, I'd love to. I already have. When do we meet? <laughs> You've been praying for two I've months. been praying for two much. I already have. I said, when do we meet? And so we started at the end of August. And David and I met to the end of the year every week over General South's chicken or uh, Chinese food or pizza at the Italian place. David then encouraged me to go to seminary. And then from January of 2004 until Hurricane Katrina of August of 2005, we met twice a week, every week for the next year and a half. So for two years we met. And people always say, what was it like to be discipled by David Platt? I can tell you this. It wasn't just what David taught me, although he taught me a lot. I mean, we studied the finer tenets of soteriology, and we talked about justification by faith and glorification right. and sanctification. But I can't tell you any of those things, really. This is what I remember most about those times. And although I remember some things, here's what I remember most. I remember how he lived. I remember how he, uh, I, I remember the, the way he would speak to people. I remember the way he treated his wife. I remember the way he prayed as we prayed for hours and hours together. And so what I tell people is this, I'm the product of discipleship. Right. Now, David and I did one-on-one for about five and a half months. And then when I went to seminary, we had a group of about seven to nine. Okay, a little larger group, seven to nine guys living life together, studying the word, praying together. And so I have based, I told, I told David this recently. I said, David, what you have done intuitively with me, I have written down systematically in books and processes and research driven uh, kind of discipleship. And so that's how we came up with the D group model. The D group model is basically a hothouse, as Greg Ogden calls it, a hothouse for transformation. I want you to think about it as kind of an incubator. I want you to think of it as kind of a greenhouse for plants. If plants grow out in the wild or grow out in the backyard, they're one thing. You put a plant in a greenhouse and it multiplies the impact uh, of your spiritual growth. Now, here's the thing. Let me just say this so we're on the same page. We can't manufacture growth in our life. Okay, so don't hear me say that you're going to go out, you're going to get in a D group and you're going to grow because you're doing all these things by works. Right. That's not what I'm saying. We can't manufacture growth, Chris. Right. But what we can do is we can put ourselves in, in, a, in a process or align ourselves in such a way uh, with, with a plan where God produces fruit in our life. So Christ will work in us to work through us. Now, I, don't know, I know you're not going to believe this, but as a kid... Sixth grade, fifth grade, I got picked on in school. Did really? I tell you this? You, I, I may have heard. I may have heard this. Before. Okay, so fifth grade, sixth grade, uh, I got picked on in school. I was tall, lanky, uncoordinated. I was six six by the time I hit sixteen. Just wow. to tell you, my wow. feet grew from the age of twelve to sixteen with my age. So when I was eleven, I wore an eleven. You know, I was like ten. I have eleven. When I hit twelve, it was twelve, thirteen, wow. four. My poor parents. <laughs> trying to keep up with the new Air Jordans, you know? So, but, but the reality is I was tall, lanky, uncoordinated. I got picked on. So when this movie came out years ago, it was like a healing balm to my soul. Do you remember the movie? 
Uh, was it The Karate Kid? You nailed it. The Karate Kid. <laughs> How many people remember that movie? Uh, it's one of my favorites. It was a classic. One of my favorites. Still is a classic. That's right. Okay. I went uh, in practice. You remember that kick? I do. The crane kick. The crane kick. Okay. Not the swan Not- kick, as I've heard it called before. The crane the kick. The swan kick is actually miscalled in the book Growing Up. <laughs> it may be a typo in the book Growing it, Up. It, there's a little Easter egg in Growing Up where I I'd called like to it. see the swan kick, though, honestly. The swan kick would be cool, but like. it's not the swan kick. It's the crane kick. <laughs> That's right. And uh, it's a it's a great kick. You've seen it. I practiced it immensely in the, in the garage. It's completely useless. <laughs> it does not work at it all. It looks cool. Oh, it looks great, but it's useless, okay? But here's the thing. Mr. Miyagi... Uh, was always in the garage. You remember this? I did. And when Daniel's son, Ralph Macchio, would go in there, he was always trimming something. Yes. What was he trimming? The bonsai tree. The bonsai tree. Do you know the bonsai tree is the greatest picture of discipleship? One of the greatest. I don't know if you knew this. I did not know I was so blown away years ago by the bonsai tree that I actually ordered a bonsai. You know you can buy these on Amazon. (laughs) You I did could, not. You could but it buy, doesn't surprise me. Well, you can buy everything on Amazon. That's true. Okay, so I bought this bonsai tree. It's a beautiful little tree. It has all the DNA genetic properties of a larger tree, and that's what makes it so cute. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a little, tiny version of the real thing. Yeah, I mean, it has sap and it has leaves and it has pine and it has right. bark and. That thing lasted a whopping two weeks. I killed the tree. And here's why we killed it. We overwatered it and drowned the tree, okay? But for those two weeks, it was a wonderful picture of discipleship. Here's why. The way the bonsai tree works is this. The roots are not able to grow and go deep because of the environment it's in. It constricts the growth. That little pot, remember, causes the tree or stunts the growth so it never grows tall, which which makes it the novelty of it, right? Okay, right. Most Christians are like the bonsai tree. Did you know this? I'm, I'm For years, you may be a bonsai tree. Yeah, you I didn't even say, know I can this. Remember, I can remember being a bonsai myself. Yo, and I have, I have too at times. But here's the thing. The reason a person becomes, in a sense, like a bonsai tree is because of the environment they're in. Right. What changes the environment is if you take that bonsai tree out of that little pot and you plant it in a field, did you know the tree will actually grow taller? Mm-hmm. Why? Because of the environment it's in. Now, come in close and think about this. Most Christians think about the environment they're in. They're not in the word. They have no accountability. They're not memorizing the word. They're not praying. They're not growing in fasting and silence and solitude and worship. Why would we think that we would grow in that environment? That's a great point. I mean, think about that. You're not going to grow through osmosis with the Bible on the bedside. It actually has to be read and studied. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying if you read these things, automatically you're going to grow. But if you read these things and do these things and engage in spiritual disciplines, right. Chris, what you do for the Christian is you put the man or the woman of God in a greenhouse where God begins to grow you into the image of his you son. You put yourself in that environment where God uses you. And uh, one of the, the, the things I think you're mentioning that is so critical, uh, two things, accountability and multiplication. We don't see those two things happening at a high level anywhere else in the church. Accountability on a Sunday morning is showing up. Yeah. Accountability in a small group is showing up and maybe saying, "How are you doing this week?" You know, right uh, to that next level. Maybe, maybe more than that. Some groups I've seen some groups that have been together for a while. They're willing to go a little bit deeper. But the reality is, in the discipleship environment, discipleship group environment, that's where high accountability can happen, and it won't happen right away. Um, let, let's just give some parameters real quick. Uh, yeah, about the group. Let me talk about the group size. Yeah, let's talk about the group size. The, the meeting time, uh, the, just the basics so yeah. people know what we're talking okay, about. Okay, so let me just clarify. We're talking about a group of about three 
to six people. Okay. Yes. Uh, it can be more, but let me just say, I've tried one time a group of nine guys. It's way too many guys. And here's yes. why. The group is not uh, so that people can sit by passively. Right. They're actively participating through right. asking and answering questions, through sharing their life and quoting scripture. Yeah. So basically what happens is this. We're going to meet with three to six guys, if you're a guy, three to six ladies, if you're a lady. So gender specific. Gender specific. And this is the difference between the D group and the life group. One of them, We're yes. going to meet for 12 to 18 months. Okay. Okay. The reason we don't go longer than 18 months is because the goal, remember, is replication. Right. From day one. From day one. And here's the thing. People think they're getting in this group for them, which they are. Right. But the goal is to get them to be a leader. And you and I both know, we've been in discipleship groups before. We've benefited right. from them. But it fades in comparison yes. to when we actually lead groups and lead people and see them go on and do great things That's for right. God. You know it. Absolutely. And you study more. You learn more. The fourth thing, or the third thing is, you're going to meet either uh, at a home, or you'll meet at a coffee shop, or you'll meet over breakfast, Chick or you meet for Chick-fil-A for lunch, Christian Nuggets. That's right. Or always Christian good. Chicken. Just don't call. go on Sunday. <laughs> but right. Yeah, they're not open. But uh, you can go to what we call Cracker Barrel, a.k.a. Discipleship Central. Right in, here, in yes. Our, in this town, that's all town. that happens there. There's some eating, but mostly discipleship. <laughs> mostly discipleship. Like we've Barrel. taken over. They love uh, us. We've taken and over we Cracker Barrel. Yeah. Uh, Hardee's. But, but the reality is this. you want Or you could do it at church a lot of people on wednesday night have unused sunday school life group classes right open your church up on wednesday night yes you have age-graded ministries already happening for your children in preschool and your kids or your students and then let your people meet right it can be it can be an easy on-ramp for wednesday night but one word of caution do not turn it into a program yes discipleship groups very different from this, uh, from life group, small group, Sunday school, in the sense that this is not a program yes. that you are facilitating. You're not matchmaking people. Yeah. Um, you are asking people to go and find their three to five, pray through it, invite them, bring them into that gathering, challenge them for the next year to 18 months, and then ultimately multiply. But this is them going out and doing what God's called them to do as the great as a response to the Great Commission, yeah. not a ministry that you are administrating, facilitating, and putting together on, on campus as another micro small group. So well, here's speak. a question. People are asking, where do I meet the people? Right. Where am I going to find these people for the D groups if we are, if you're not doing D harmony? That's right. <laughs> right. Not to be confused with E harmony, but discipleship harmony. That's right. But here's what you're doing. You're living life in a life group. Right. And out of the life group, which is a fishing pond for forging friendships, right. you're asking people you've been living with for a while sure. to be in your D group. Years ago, when I was the pastor at Brainerd Baptist, we had just starting we just started rolling out discipleship, and one of the Sunday school teachers who uh, didn't really understand the concept in a business meeting stood up and called me out in front of the whole church. And he said, Pastor, you're talking about this discipleship stuff and you're talking about these D groups and I have a feeling it's gonna crash our church and we're not gonna be able to continue on because you are taking a shot at life groups, one of which I teach. Oh, wow. Now, obviously he had a vested interest and I appreciated the question. Right. But here's what I said to him. I said, Jeff, I understand what you're saying, but here's the reality. We're not taking away from life groups. We're actually fuse, infusing life, right. no point intended, into the life group. Right, right. And here's why. Because when people, when you have a, here's why you need a clear pathway in your church. When you have a discipleship pathway, mm -hmm. you know how to plug people into on-ramps to get on the thoroughfare or the pathway. That's right. Okay, so here's the thing. When people come up to me at Long Hollow, and they do all the time, after church, they'll say, Pastor, 
I'm sold out. I know I need to be in a D group. Hook me up. Set me up. Find yeah. me a person. That's right. Okay, I'm ready to be in. Yes. Guess what my first question to them is, Chris? Are you in a life group? Are you in a life group? That's right. First question. And most of the time they say, no, 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 I don't want to, I want to be in a D group. Right. And what we say is, we understand that. But you're going to experience life. You're going to experience encouragement. You're going to experience yeah. edification. You're going to be able to invite Lost Prince to a life group. I'd start there, Chris. Well, and the number one place that I have had resistance to doing both life groups and discipleship groups, believe it or not, is staff. That's true. Some great, well-meaning pastors, ministers of education. You're like, man, I, this is much better than the traditional life group. We just want to do these. Yeah. And and I would say, I don't want multiplication happening in the lives of people who don't or who aren't even experiencing biblical community. Yeah, that's true. I don't want that multiplied. Yeah, in absolutely. A great point. <laughs> or trying to live in an environment of growth separate and apart from your spouse. That's true. I mean, think yes. about it. Uh, uh, there, there is a great benefit to sitting next to your wife That's or right. your husband, growing in your faith together. You're both in the word. You're both inviting people. And so I would say, uh, just to kind of put, put a uh, period on that. So what I would say to him is we're not taking people from the life group. Right. We're actually moving people into the life groups. And that's, that's right. what happened there. And that's what's happening here. Yes. it fe they, they feed each other because as people mature, what do they do? They attend more frequently. They give more biblically. They generously that more generously they they walk through life as as they mature they begin to see everything through the lens of a scriptural lens versus this idea of the consumer mindset which like you said earlier most churches we've got Sunday morning for an hour and then during that hour while you're here maybe we've got some type of group on campus and that's the that's extent right. to what we it's do. the it, two wheel we bike strip back everything to how can we cram it all into an hour so it can be like a McDonald's drive through and I and I think that type of consumer-driven uh, church experience, which is very prevalent, obviously in America, is it's slowly. I mean, we've seen it fading. It's I mean, it's clear that it's fading, but it'll always have a, a somewhat of an audience because it's easy. Yeah. And here's the problem, Chris, and, and we'll close with this. The problem with that event-driven, one-time-only mentality for, for your people is that they leave your church and they throw their Christian life aside like they throw that crumbled-up bulletin they just received to you in the trash on the way out. <laughs> Sadly the, true. Listen, and then they pick one up next week when they walk in the door. And what they've done is they've compartmentalized their faith. Hmm. They say, this is my secular life, which is an hour to two hours on Sunday. But this is my or this is my sacred life. And this is my secular life, which is the other six days a week. And you know, I know that that's what I used to do. Yeah. I was raised in a different religion. I would put on my Sunday best. I'd go with my parents. I'd put on an act. I'd put a smile on my face. And the moment I left, I would live like I wanted. And then I'd come back on Sunday and I'd expect the peace of God to come back over right. me. And that's because I thought church was a building. And I thought that uh, church was a place. Yes. And I didn't realize church was a people and it was a body and it was a movement right. and it was a way and it was a process that I would grow uh, into the image of Christ. And so I think that uh, just to kind of finish, and we probably have more to say about this, but to finish where we started, mm -hmm. do you remember the question? You had a very intriguing question, and I cannot recall it. <laughs> okay, here's the, thankfully I remember the question. Thankfully I remember the question. The question is, how do I add discipleship to an right, already exactly busy right. schedule? And 168 here, hours in the week. Yeah, I mean, I'm, uh, yeah. you may be working 50, 60, 70 of those. You may have three hours a day where you're just doing, you know, frivolous, exciting, fun activities. Yeah. Here's the answer. Okay. Yes. Does anybody here ever go to lunch with anyone? 
I know I do. You do. Yeah. Have you ever gone to breakfast early in the morning with someone in your church or somebody at your office? I've done that as well. All the time, right? Here's what we're asking. We're not asking you to add something to an already busy schedule. We're asking you to multiply things you already do and 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 invest or or restructure, retool things you already do. We all have breakfast with people. We all go to lunch at time. We all get a lunch break. Right. Find three to five men at your workplace that you can go to Hardee's with or you can go to Chick-fil-A with. Open Bibles in a secular restaurant, study the Word of God, and you watch what God does. I did this for over a year, years ago. There's nothing greater than seeing an accountant or a fireman or a policeman open his Bible in a secular restaurant. Right. People start coming up to you and saying, hey, I don't know who you guys are, but would you pray for me? The waitresses got saved. The owner of the business got saved. I'm telling you. And God would will work in your life when you put guys or girls in that environment. So I'm not asking you to do anything more than you're already doing, I'm asking you to maximize things you already do or well, already and that done. Well, and you bring up a great topic to end with, and because we're going to talk about it next time. Um, how does evangelism work? How does missional lifestyle look in a on this discipleship pathway? And the question we get a lot: if that is your focus, how, how can you how evangelistic are you as a church? And the beauty is, you you and I both know this actually ramps up evangelism rather than quantifying it and breaking it down to just the leaders on the staff doing the evangelism, doing the events, doing the altar calls. But we'll talk about that next time as we wrap up the pathway Yes, and uh, touch on the last piece of it, crowd. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Making Disciples with Robbie Gallaty. If you don't mind, take a moment to subscribe and share the podcast. You can find out more about disciple making, resources related to disciple making, and our customized training on our website at replicate.org.